Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul is moving to a new section in the letter, and he begins with the term, finally. But I want you to watch what he calls the Philippians after he says, finally. He says, finally, my brethren. So here we have this world-traveled, this uh, experienced and great apostle. You know, people saluted him and recognized him anywhere and everywhere he went. But you know, he's speaking to folks that some may have only come into the family or into the kingdom maybe the night prior, maybe the week prior, but they were all family now, brothers and sisters facing the exact same troubles. And whether you're the president of the United States or a sanitation worker, we all put on our pants one leg at a time. You're no better than anyone else, but also no one else is better than you. Finally, my brethren, same family, same struggles, same issues. Rejoice in the Lord. It's ironic that you have this man in prison in dire circumstances. I mean, we covered this in the weeks past. He's in a terrible predicament, but this man in prison tells people who are free to rejoice. But that is the very point. Our inner attitudes are always more important than our outward circumstances. And we see this in the life of the apostle Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I want you to read this carefully because some people misread this verse. It says, rejoice in who? The Lord. He didn't say rejoice about every situation and everything that happens. So sometimes when things don't go as planned, he, he's not telling you to rejoice in what's wrong. He's saying rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is faithful, because the Lord is good, because the Lord is strong, because the Lord is wise, because the Lord loves you, because the Lord will always be there. When no one else is there, we always have someone to rejoice. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he said, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is a safeguard or it is safe. Now, Paul had said this in person when he was with them. So he, he recognized, he started sounding like a broken record, and some of you millennials don't know what that is, but uh, a record is that thing that spins around. But I understand records are coming back and people are in the vinyl. But, but the short of it is, he, he wasn't trying to bore them, but just because you heard it once doesn't mean that you heard it or that you really, really got it. I like what Bruce Lee said. He said, I don't fear the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. So guard against the one-and-done approach to God's Word because faith doesn't come by having heard. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing. It comes by hearing and what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing until you hear. And sometimes it's that umpteen time that you finally get it in the light bulb comes on. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says the same thing. Do not sorrow. One of the greatest challenges in my life as a young pastor is I often took things to heart. If something went wrong, everything was always my fault. But, but one thing it, it dawned on me, I am responsible for what I do and what I say, but I'm not responsible for how everyone feels about it. It says, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord 
is your strength. And what he's saying in the context of this scripture is even after you mess up, learn from it and keep moving. And sure, there'll be moments where we experience sorrow and, and there's a time for weeping and there's a time for rejoicing. But don't let a sad day turn into a sad life. Philippians 3 and 1, let's get back. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, this was as binding a command from God than any other in Scripture. Now, it's not a, a thou shall not, but it is a thou shalt. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is what? Say, so he used this term 16 times, rejoice or joy, in the book of Philippians. Some people call this the happy epistle. Why? Because our joy matters to God. You know, joy is an inside job. Don't give anyone but God that amount of power, that amount of license in your life to permanently take it away. Philippians 4 and 1 Paul says the same thing. He says it over and over and over again throughout this epistle. He says it in the next chapter, 4 and 1. Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren. Paul actually liked the people he went to church together with. And uh, I, I had that same privilege. I, 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 I get to, to, to live life with some of the greatest people, I think, on the planet. But watch what he called them. He called them my joy and crown meaning he smiled when he thought about these Philippians. How many of us know some people that, that when their names are mentioned, our lips kind of curl up and uh, we kind of kind of grimace? Uh, you know, pe some people are in these micro expressions and, and you know, if you really caught that expression, it, it would be a, a, a pretty, pretty ugly uh, expression. And I'm sure, though, with this church, just like every church, you know, stuff happened because people do stuff. Uh, but nonetheless, when he thought about the Philippians, it always brought back pleasant mem memories. And this is what all of us want. He says, stand fast. These are the folks that are his joy and crown in the Lord. And then he calls them again, beloved. Now, this was military language, stand fast in the Lord. Uh, so we're not only brothers and sisters in a family, we're also soldiers fighting back to back. Now, I cannot always promise that I will solve your problems, but I can promise that you will not have to face them alone. He says, I implore Eudia and I implore Synctith to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, if anything saps people's joy, it's constant bickering and fighting. But, you know, it's important. We, we can learn how to say what we mean without saying it mean. That's one more time. You can learn to say what you mean without saying it mean. You can speak the truth in love. So what he said, hey, ladies, y'all need to use your words and work this thing out. And we can disagree over the minor things, the small things, even the medium-sized things without becoming disagreeable. We, we can differ without becoming nasty. We can see things in different ways without destroying the relationship. And he says, and I urge you also... And we see that this conflict was getting in the way of the joy, and that's why joy comes up in this context. True companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So as anointed as the Apostle Paul was, he still worked with a team. 
And we all still need people. I don't care how powerful you become in the Lord. We need each other. And wherever you go and you got people, you're going to have problems. That's just the truth. But one of the secrets to, to longevity and lasting is maintaining a sense of humor. And this is what he's saying. Rejoice in the Lord. We're going to get this in a couple moments, but stop sweating the small stuff. He says, rejoice in the Lord, not, you know, just sometimes, but always. Now, I cannot always rejoice in my circumstances. I can't always celebrate everything everyone does, but I can rejoice in my God. Why? Because when I was dead in my sin, he looked at me and said, live. When I lost my way, he made a way out of no way. When doctors told me there was no hope, he taught me to hope against hope. When I am weak, he is strong. When I'm down, he keeps me looking up. When people gave up on me, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So I can always, no matter what people do, I can always rejoice in the Lord. It says rejoice in the Lord sometimes, no Always, from the rising of the sun, the Bible says, to the going down of the same, his name is worthy to be praised. Again, now he says again. So he's repeating it, not just throughout the book of Philippians, he's repeating it now in the same verse. He told them orally when he last visited the Philippians. He wrote it in chapter 3. He said it again at the beginning of this verse. Now he says it again. It must be important. Your joy is important. It should be something of a focus in the development of your spiritual life. He says, again, I will say, rejoice. Nowhere in the Bible that I'm aware of does God command anything this emphatically. As egregious as murder is, as egregious as lying and theft is, we never read, do not murder. I mean never. Again, I say to you, do not murder. God is trying to tell us in the strongest possible way, do not let negative people turn you into one of them. Every time we choose to hold on to bitterness, we lose 60 seconds of joy. And then he says, let your gentleness, so he's speaking the solution in the midst of the conflict between these two women. And one translation reads, reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to all men, keeping your cool, remaining reasonable and, and, and thoughtful, and it's critical to maintaining long-term relationships. It's easy to start a relationship. It's another thing to maintain that relationship. And we must all learn how to get along with others if we're going to move the ball forward in the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and says, uh, why must you maintain relationships? Because the Lord is at hand. Now, the next event on God's prophetic timetable is the return of Jesus Christ. Now, just like the Bible predicted he'd come the first time, likewise, the Bible predicts that he will come back. But not in weakness this time. He's coming in power. So don't let the little things distract you from the big picture. We are stronger 
together. And God's reward for hanging in there is bigger than, than anything that, that we could ever imagine. And the Bible said he's coming with his reward. So he's coming to reward those who have loved him and served him, but he's also coming to, to stop the wicked from troubling. And then in verse 6 it says, be anxious for nothing. This verse can be translated, stop being anxious about everything. You see, worry doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles. It only takes away today's peace. And, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't help. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6 and 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Now, the Bible does teach that planning for tomorrow is time well spent, but worrying about tomorrow is always time wasted. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So he's saying, you know, make the most of the present. Worrying never changes the outcome. All it means is you suffer twice. You suffer while you're worrying, and then you suffer if the event happens. Back to Philippians 4 and 6. He says, be anxious for absolutely nothing. And then he shows us how do we deal with anxiety. The way we deal with anxiety is not by pretending it's not there, by, you know, saying, well, I'm not anxious when you're anxious. The way we deal with anxiety, he's about to show us. He says, be anxious for nothing but everything by what? Prayer. So he's not saying, again, when, when we worry, pretend that, that we're not. But he's saying that same energy you would use to worry, use it to get into God's Word. Use it to pray through. Here's what I know. Everyone who runs toward God gets there. Every single one. The Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw nigh to you. But in everything, there's, there's no area of our lives too small for God to be concerned about. It. In fact, it's the little things that make the big things. This is why the Bible says, Jesus actually said that every hair on our heads are numbered. Every day of our lives, the psalmist says, is written in a book. The psalmist goes on to say, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. If I should count them, they would be more than the sand. But in every worrisome, vexing, frustrating, uh, you know, just mind-blowing situation that comes your way by prayer. You see, this is why I pray so much, not because I'm trying to be religious, but because it's powerful. Because sometimes prayer changes me more than, than my situation. Now, it does change the situation, but, but it gets me right, and, and it, it gets my head in the right place. And we have to stop using prayer as the last resort, but as, instead as the first line of defense. And, and we got to learn to take it to the Lord in prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, in every single thing, by prayer and supplication— then he's about to say, with thanksgiving. So this command is not just about uh, teaching us to stop worrying. It's trying to teach us to seek God instead. And we seek him until we experience peace. So there are times I get worried. I get anxious. And uh, I'll get into the word. I'll lift my hands until I shake it off. I've had, I mean, I've had 
some serious pressure. I've had a couple, a couple of times, it took me days to shake that off. Sometimes, you know, even as long as a week, I mean, when you get some horrible news or some terrible event happen, it takes a minute sometimes. But if I take it to the Lord in prayer, he takes it. And again, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He takes that burden from me and then gives me his burden, which is pleasant and joyful. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by everything, everything, marriage, raising children, uh, the job you select, the job you work, uh, everything by prayer and supplication. You know, even, you know, with, with television, you might think this is silly, but sometimes, you know, I, I mean, you know whether it's Netflix or, or wherever else I'm, I'm on, I'm trying to watch something that, that's not going to, you know, send me directly to hell. And uh, I'll ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything you'd watch with me? And uh, it's, it's amazing, and I know that might sound silly, but uh, sometimes he, he'll, he'll put something in my heart, and I, it's just a greater joy watching the program. And I see things about life and, and sometimes even about myself in that particular program because I know he's watching it with me. And that might sound silly to pray about, you know, the program. And it's not a long prayer. I don't have to get down on my knees. Lord, please show me. what. No, it's, not, it's not that. But I'll just ask my heart, Lord, would you show me? And it's amazing when we watch it together, it just brings so much more relief and refreshment Enjoy. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He's saying, if you want to worry less, praise more. See, the worship part of our service is not just filler until the preacher comes. That's not what that part of the service is all about. It's our, our moment for us to collectively forget about ourselves and, and forget about our troubles and experience Him. And when we lift hands, you know, I'm not thinking about you. I'm not thinking of the third person in the, in, you know, in the fifth seat in the row behind me. I am focused on Him. And when we do that corporately, there's power in that type of uh, worship. He said, with thanksgiving, let your requests, you got to let this happen, be made known to God. If there was only one thing that I could learn in life, it would be how to pray. You know, prayer is not one of those things you just read a book and you got it. I mean, you can read volumes. It's one of those things that you, you, you learn by doing. And some of it's hit or miss, but you learn by doing. And uh, prayer is one of the most vital things. And what happens is we have a couple experiences where we don't get the answer to the prayer the way we'd like or in the time we like, we give up. But we don't realize that's part of the learning process. And, and God's trying to show you, well, that, that approach was, was not the approach, but stay at it, stay in my word. And that's why I'm in the Bible, to learn how to pray, to learn how to commune with God, to learn how to live with God, learn how to fellowship with God. And, and the Bible helps me get on track with God. I don't worship the Bible, I worship God. And the Bible helps me in my prayer life. It helps me to worship. It helps me to keep my thinking right. Do you, do you get what I'm, I'm saying here? The Bible is actually a means to an end, a, the, the means to a relationship. And that's why we dig into this word, not because we want to be better at the Bible than the next person and, and some type of, you know, theologian or bibliologian, whatever. That's not the goal of it. The, the goal is to learn this stuff so we can better connect with God. Let your requests be made known to God. And when you do that, and this is why we don't have peace, because we don't do that. And when you do that, and the peace of God, two huge words, peace, shalom, in Hebrew, or Irene, in Greek, and God. Peace and God. As big as those two words are, peace and God, 
It's the preposition in the middle that's most important in this sentence. He's not talking about human peace, but the very peace of God. God's own peace. Peace that passes understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that people are looking at, why are you okay with that happening? Because it's not human peace. It's the peace of God. Peace doesn't mean that troubles are absent. It just means God is present. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, every human calculation. You know, we say, well, I'll have peace when I figure it out. God's peace is knowing whether I understand it or not. God's got this thing. God's figured it out. God's going to work it out. It's a peace that only comes from relationship. And I can't explain how that transaction happens, but sometimes I'm facing incredible crises. I mean, they're really, really serious. And in myself, I don't have the answer. In myself, you know, I'm a little concerned. But when I lean into him, he says, well, here's, here's some of my peace, son. And, and in the midst of that situation, I, I'm able to handle it. I'm, uh, the clarity comes back to my mind. But that happens because I lean into him. And we have conversation. We talk it through. It's not just, you know, you throwing up a request. It's talking it through. It's having a full conversation with God that sometimes not just a sentence, sometimes it's paragraphs and sometimes it's pages if you were documenting. You understand? It's an ongoing conversation with the Lord. Yes, God responds to one-word prayers, and those are important. But usually it's, it's those pages of, of conversation that came or preceded that one-word prayer that set you up for that answer. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Prayer is not just a religious function. There are billions of people around the world. Some pray three or five times a day, you know, but they don't have a relationship with God. So it's not prayer. It's the relationship. It, it, it's the God you're talking to. And it's learning to talk to him in accordance with his word. His word and his will are one. And when you get that together, you become powerful in the realm of prayer. And the peace of God, which passes all, doesn't make sense. Again, it, it, how can you have peace in the midst of this? Because God is with you. And when God is with you and you know it, there is a peace that you can't explain any other way except to say God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, watch what it will do. It will guard your hearts. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.